A six-year-old boy had been sitting quietly in the back seat of the family car for about a 400-mile trip from Pittsburgh to New York, and impressed and, and very grateful, his mother turned around to praise him just as they were about to head into the Lincoln Tunnel. You're such a good boy. I mean, Mommy's so proud of you. And then she turned to face forward. Suddenly, a full can of soda shot from the back seat, smashing into the windshield, showering everyone up front and leaving her soaked <laughs> and perplexed by what had just happened. I mean, she needed an explanation. Well, that's what you're going to hear today on today's episode. Hi. If we haven't met yet, I'm Doug Newton. I'm uh, 45 years of pastor, a national award-winning magazine editor, author of 24 books, and this is At the Intersection with Doug Newton, a place where scripture, culture, and character meet. I'm here to help you pursue the kind of character needed to align with scripture faithfully and to engage culture graciously. Now, each week, I make one observation about our culture, I give one insight from the Bible that speaks to that issue, and I suggest one way to strengthen the character that you and I need to relate to our mixed-up world with exemplary grace and fresh impact. Now, as I say every week, this is a no-gripe zone. <laughs> our question is not, what's wrong with our culture? It's really about what's the right way to respond. So you ready? Here we go. You know, I opened with this true story by the renowned psychologist, child psychologist from the 1960s, I know way back then, but his name was Dr. Chaim Gannat, and he had a number one bestseller for a long time named Between Parent and Child. The only change that I made in the story was to have the little boy launch a soda can rather than an ashtray because, well, you know, <laughs> do cars even have ashtrays anymore? I don't know. Anyways, the mom was worried whether her son was some kind of a sociopath for splashing a whole can of soda against the windshield right after she had just told him what a good boy he was. So she contacted the famous doctor for help. And let me tell you how Chaim Gannat retells some of that story in his book. And I'll read. The woman on the telephone sounded frantic. Figure this out, she said, if you can. Here we are in the car. The whole family, I mean, and we drove 400 miles from Pittsburgh to New York. In the back of the car, Ivan behaved like an angel, quiet, deep in thought. And I said to myself, I said, he deserves some praise. I mean, we were just entering the Lincoln Tunnel, uh, and and all of a sudden, this guy fell in on us. I mean, he just threw a, a soda can against the windshield, even though I had just gotten through saying to him, you know, Ivan, you are such a good boy. You behave so well. I'm so proud of you. But he, he threw this can all over us. We were in the tunnel and heavy traffic and startled and soaked. I mean, I, I, I could have killed him. And what burned me up most was that I had just praised him so sincerely. Isn't praise good for children anymore? Well, eventually, Dr. Gannat got to the bottom of the mystery. It turns out that just as the mother told him what a good boy he was, He'd been in the backseat imagining an oncoming truck hitting the car, cutting it into, and killing his little brother in the front seat in that prized position between mommy and daddy. Now, Gannat goes on to write, Many children have, from time to time, destructive wishes about members of their family. 
When a parent tells a child, you are such a good boy, he may not be able to accept it because his own picture of himself at that time is quite different. Most people, Gannat says, believe that praise builds up a child's confidence and makes them feel secure. In actuality, many parents frequently report that just after praising a child for good behavior, he starts to act wild as though to disprove the compliment. Gannat urges parents to dispense praise, which is emotional medicine like regular medicine, you know, carefully at the right time and in the right dosage. He goes on to write, The single most important rule is that praise deal only with a child's efforts and accomplishments, not with his personality and character. If a boy cleans up the yard, tell him how good the yard looks, not how good he is. Praise has two parts, he writes. Our words and the child's inferences. Our words should state clearly that we appreciate the child's effort, work, achievement, help, consideration, or creation. Our words should be so framed that the child will almost inevitably draw from them a realistic conclusion about his personality. And then he finally gives an example. He says, Kenny, at age 10, helped his father fix the basement. In the process, he had to move heavy furniture. So the father should say to him, or did say to him, well, that workbench is so heavy, it was hard to move. And Kenny beams with pride, but I did it. And then father says, well, that takes a lot of strength. And Kenny, you know, flexing his muscles says, well, I'm strong. You see, in this example, the father commented, excuse me, on the difficulty of the task. It was the child himself who drew the inference about his personal power. See, we would, we would do well to learn this lesson from Dr. Gannat today. What is true of children is true of all people in, in this regard. Compliments about who we are that are not backed up by what we do are ineffective and perhaps even counterproductive in building people's self-esteem. Unfortunately, our self-esteem-hungry culture places most of the emphasis these days on self-image and personal identity as the source of self-esteem. And this is a significant departure from decades past. Sociologists and philosophers pointed out 50 years ago that if you asked a person, who are you? They would say their name, but they would reply with an answer about what they do. Oh, uh, who am I? I'm an accountant, or I'm a school teacher. But these days, all that has changed. Today, people are encouraged to find and then express their identity and their worth through personality. Oh, what are you on the Enneagram? Oh, I'm an eight uh, and a two. I mean, or their race, or their social group, or their their gender. But but that's not all. In this culture, in order to feel good about those identity factors, you also need to have a sense of uniqueness, of individuality. You know, I'm special, something that sets you apart. And this is where social media like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and then the information media like Google or, or YouTube, they, that's where they factor in so heavily in this whole area of self-esteem. You see, social media is where we portray ourselves and we receive feedback 
about how our image and identity stack up against all the other images that are out there and often don't stack up well. And then the information media is where we discover examples of the best of everything. You know, for example, HGTV immerses viewers in examples of beautiful kitchens, spa-like bathrooms, (laughs) palatial walk-in closets, which make our homes feel drab by comparison, and by extension, our lives feel (laughs) drab. And HGTV is, is metaphor for how we are hyper-informed about the best of everything. Information media shows us the most talented, the highest achievers, the champions in everything. And again, we continue to feel unimportant or insignificant. Nothing about us stands out. We are average. Our homes are average. Our cars, our clothes, (laughs) our skills are average. We aren't great conversationalists or very funny or attractive. We're not particularly smart. We're just average at best. And that that bothers us because that means there's nothing unique about us for self-esteem. And then if you catch a person at a vulnerable stage like a young teen girl or guy and and you're also being mocked, ridiculed, and bullied, you can feel like it's not worth being you or even alive. I need to try being someone else. Try assuming a new identity. Polish and paint myself. Color my hair chartreuse. Anything to stand out. See, we've got to be somebody in relation to the pool of all human beings. Because the culture's culture's mantra is who you are is more important than what you do. Who you are is more important than what you do. Who you are is more important than what you do. I mean, it's incessant, drummed into our heads. But what if all along we've gotten it wrong to separate being from doing? Did you know that classical philosophy has always married being and doing? I mean, great philosophers like Aristotle, showed how character traits like honesty, courage, generosity are actually habits of behavior. A person becomes more honest or courageous or generous through practice in the same way that musicians, Aristotle said harp players, become better harp players through practice. You see, it really does not make sense to say who you are is more important than what you do because the fact is, You are what you do, and you do what you are. Being and doing are married. But somewhere in our recent times, they got divorced. And people think you can actually have a sense of satisfaction about who you are based purely on identity and image, and not on the kind of things you do, the kind of responsibilities you fulfill, the kind of effort you put out, the kind of results that come from those efforts. You see, it really does go back to Dr. Gannat. We can be like that mom and affirm ourselves all day long in front of the mirror about how much we're worth. We we can receive a million likes on Facebook or the adulation from a million followers like the famous singers and movie stars have, but 
we're not going to feel better about ourselves because of that. Our sense of worth comes from inferences we draw about ourselves from what we do that benefits others. That's the bottom line. You know, the Bible reveals this marriage of being and doing, of identity and calling, of position and performance, all through all throughout the text. God, who is the great affirmer, over and over granted his people their identity as his chosen ones. He said to them often, I am your God, and you are my people. I am your God, you are my people. But then he turns right around and he requires obedience to his calling, their identity. That calling comes out of that and says, follow my lead, do what I say, live how I instruct, and your life will be blessed as you exude this sense of your identity that you really are the people of God. You see, the people of God must act like the people of God in order to experience a feeling of being the people of God. A fulfilling sense of being flows from a faithful life of doing. That's the biblical principle. But, I mean, honestly, most people in this broken world are not trying or even wanting to be God's people, right? But they do want to feel good about themselves and who they are. And you know, whether they ever become Christians or not, shouldn't we nevertheless care for them in their need, just like we would care for anyone with a physical sickness or a physical struggle? So what do we do? How do we help people with their self-esteem? Here's three quick things. The last one is where I really want to land. But here's the first. People will never feel like they're much to you if you never spend time with them. I mean, husbands can tell their wives till they're blue in the face, I love you, and with words and with flowers every week. But if they're always going out having fun with the guys, what's his wife going to feel like? I mean, not worth much to him. You know, the best way that a husband can say, I love you, (laughs) is to say, I love us. I love being together. I love talking together. I love walking together. I love working together. The same holds true for parents with their children. You can tell them all sorts of praise about how wonderful they are. You don't spend time with them. And that's true of any human being. There's no point trying to affirm someone and not show interest in them. You say I'm worth something, but you don't seem to be interested in me. So you have to show genuine interest in people. Simple, but that works. Here's the second. You've got to begin to notice and affirm the little things that people do that really matter. Because in our culture, it often feels to people like, if I don't accomplish something big or new or different or creative or noticeable, then I'm not, I'm not worth much because I don't stand out. But that's a lie. It's just that people don't know it. They need to hear other people talking about and affirming the value of small things that people do that are done thoughtfully, of routine things that are done consistently, 
You know, we should simply become part of a class of people who award badges and championships and certificates of excellence for those kind of small things that people do that really help others in some way. But finally, here's the last one where I really want to land, and that's gratitude. But but we need to understand gratitude with Dr. Gannat's counsel in mind. You see, the best way to bring affirmation, the best way to help people feel encouraged and built up, is not through general affirmations about who they are, but specific expressions of gratitude for what they've done. Thank people for what they've done that's helped you, that's blessed you, that's encouraged you, things that they have done that have influenced you, especially in the small things they do. And then just let the person draw the inference that they matter. Specific expressions of gratitude for specific things they have done that's made a difference or brought help and value into your life is going to bring that sense of worth and value into other people's lives. Well, there you have it. You can make a huge difference in your corner of the world through just those minor shifts in the way you go about noticing, showing interest in, and giving praise and thanks for those kind of specific things that people do. Now, I've got another crosswalk for you to use this week, showing the steps. Let me put it up on the screen here. Showing the steps that uh, that we can take to counteract this image-driven world of shaken people who are hungry to mean something to the world around them. Uh, here's the the link at the uh, underneath the the page picture there today. Now, I'm not going to take time to go through this this sheet and give you all the details, but let me just give you a quick overview. I, I, in, this, in this exercise, I'm giving you uh, some practice at making sure that you're showing genuine interest in people by being with them and reaching out for what they have to offer, reaching out for what they have to offer. Then I'm excited. I'm really excited about the last three exercises. It's a three-part exercise, really. It's going to help you be more aware of the little things that people do that really count in your life and giving them specific, truly helpful gratitude and praise. Uh, that's going to be on the second. This is a two-pager on the second sheet where I actually have a, a chart that's going to help you work through that with a, a, a sample of what I'm talking about. I think you're going to use this and find it really important, especially if you follow through. Now, I hope that you download this very helpful guide. I, I'm i so glad to see that many of you are listening to this podcast and have downloaded this free character development tool every week. But this week, I'm giving you a special invitation to another resource that I've created. It's called How to Become More Grateful. It's one of the modules in a program that I've created it's called Ways to Improve Your Character and Everything Else. This module offers 12 video lessons on how character develops, and it culminates in this 64-page full-color gratitude exercise book where there are 30 exercises to help you grow in your character trait of gratitude. 
If you're interested, I've just included that four minute overview video, which gonna sh that you can go to and you'll see when you're on the uh, crosswalk page if you go to that after the podcast today. Well, I do appreciate, you know, um, you being here. And if you appreciate what I'm trying to do with this podcast, would you share it with your friends? And would you subscribe to the uh, my Fresh Impact page in uh, the YouTube channel? And, and by the way, within 24 hours, I'm going to have a permanent version of this podcast on YouTube, not just a live replay and an audio-only version for those who want to listen on the go. All that information about the podcast past and future can be found on our website. And the links are right at the end of this video. So you can, you can pause it and get those down. So I want to just thank you so much for tuning in. I'd love to hear from you. Even send me thoughts about what you might like me to address. I'm already looking forward to next week to an episode titled Polishing the Golden Rule. So join me again next week at the intersection with Doug Newton. We'll see you then.